0: morning, everyone. Um, for those of you who don't know, my name's Zach. I'm the pastor here at the Grove, um, and and uh, we're going to be in the book of Mark today. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, it's totally fine. There should be a hardback black Bible somewhere around your feet or seat in front of you. Um, if you don't own a Bible, that is our gift to you. You can take that with you, take it home, um, and that is yours. Um, and so that's—you uh, can turn to Mark chapter 14. Um, if you will have it on the screen as well to read it together. But um, before we get there, there's just a couple things I want to say. Um, I loved Adam's little devotional on Lent and kind of this week. Um, and that idea that, you know, when we slip up, God's, God's there and, and we can keep coming back to him. And, and man, that is just the, the, the drumbeat that we keep beating here about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this idea, I think what set, so there's tons of people in church all over on Sundays. Um, and, 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 and really, there's a lot of people in church who um, don't really understand the gospel. And that's been, our, that's been really our, um, our experience as we planted the grove, is that we have people who've been in church their whole life, and they really didn't understand the gospel um, until they were 20 something, 30 something years old. And so really the difference between the person who understands the gospel and doesn't is this, is that when you slip up, when you sin, you can run to God. That he's not this angry father anymore because that anger has been satisfied in Christ. But but there's so many people who sit in church and on Sundays and hear preaching and go to Sunday school and when they slip up when they sin they don't understand the gospel so they run from God they run from him and try and clean themselves up and, then, and when they get themselves cleaned up they think they can come to him and that's just not what the Bible says and so I loved that that is really the the idea of Lent as we enter into the wilderness. Um, We actually have a video to share a little bit about Lent, and so I'll let that play now. I think Jared has that queued up, Um, just to kind of give you this other idea about Lent, about what it is, and then I'll come back and we'll go through Mark. We'll show it next week. It's on our Facebook page. I might have messed that up. Uh, that was not Jared's fault. That was my fault. I know I like to blame Jared a lot, um, but this time I can't. Not, not in good conscience, uh, good conscience. But okay, so Lent is the idea of, of entering the wilderness. Um, and uh, I hope I didn't mess that up and put the Lent video where the worship goes. Um, yeah, go ahead. Let's just break this whole thing down and see what happened. This is the Grove, guys. Thanks for coming. Okay, cool. So we're all good. Yeah, that's not... So I, I did mess up because that wasn't today's worship. That was last week's worship. Um, all right, cool. We're just going to go into Mark and get in there. Um, before we jump into Mark, so, so Lent's this cool thing that we're doing, um, and it's entering the wilderness with Jesus and, and the cool thing about slipping up and about the milkshake, I'm not trying to call anyone out, uh, but the cool thing about slipping up is, this, is it really just hits home the point is that Jesus did what only he could do, that what we couldn't do. He survived the 40 days in the wilderness and did not sin. He was tempted in every way that man was and did not sin. But when we're tempted, we often do sin. And we can run to him. And he's, our, he's not just our example, but he's also our our Savior, and he, he exchanged his righteousness for our sin on the cross. And we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later today, but that's the cool thing about Lent and why we've chosen to uh, observe it. So before we jump into Mark, there's one last thing I want to do. I want to do a thought experiment with everyone today, this morning. Um, I've ripped this thought experiment from a guy named John Somerville. He is the uh, professor of history emeritus uh, at University of Florida, and he's been doing this thought experiment for years, um, and it's just this, I think it's this neat thing. And so I want us just to think through this and be honest. It's not, you know, no one's, I don't want to embarrass anyone. Just be honest. Um, but you, let's just imagine in your mind that you're walking down the street late at night. There's no one else in the street. But then you see this little old lady, this very old, fragile lady with this huge, huge purse. And you know it would be really easy just to knock her over and take her purse and run off with it. You'd never get caught. There's no one seen it. There's no way she could. Explain who you were, ID you, um, you would never get caught. And you don't do it. You, you decide not to do it, even though you know how easy it would be. And the question is, the thought is, why? Why don't you do it? And, 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 and Professor Somerville would say there's two reasons why you wouldn't. The, the first reason comes from the honor and shame culture of it would be dishonorable. It would make me a bad person to do that. Like, it wouldn't be right for me to do that. It would bring, it'd bring shame to my family, to my name. Um, and, and, and then that's the honor and shame culture. But then there's this other reason why you might not do it. There's other reason why, you know, there could be that you decide and you think about what would it be like for that little old lady just to be knocked over and have her stuff taken, her stuff stolen. What would it be like? You know, how much does she have? Is this, is this everything that she has right here? You know, what kind of emotional state would she be in for the next week, next months, next years? Would she ever go out on the street alone again? And you think about the old lady and you decide, you know what? I don't want to put her through that, so I'm not going to do it. And so the first one, you think about why you wouldn't do it. But the first one is really self-centered. It might sound really good, but it's just self-absorbed. Like, I don't want to bring shame to me. I'd be a bad person. It's really just self It's just like, it's all about me and I don't want to do that for my sake. Where the second reason where you put you you know, you think about the old lady and what she's going through, is really outward-centered. And the reality is, and what Professor Somerville tells his students, is if you chose the second reason, which almost everyone always does after hearing both reasons, because it's obviously the better of the two reasons, if that's the better of the two reasons, that's the reason you chose why you wouldn't do it, you've been affected by Christianity. Because up until the point of Jesus, the shame and honor culture dominated the earth. It was... You don't want to bring shame to your family. You don't want to bring shame to your name. Um, You don't want to dishonor your family, your father, your mother. You don't want to dishonor them. And that was what dominated the earth. And it still does in a lot of cultures today. Is the reason why we don't do things is because it'd be shameful. Not about the other people, but it's about us, about my family. And so Jesus really started this revolution. And he turned the world upside down. And he changed everything. He changed literally everything. It's the first and only real, true revolution in the world. Because every other revolution in the world just exchanged one person in power for another person in power. They might reorder some of the values, but what Jesus did is he completely, he didn't reorder the values, he just completely turned the values of that culture upside down. Just completely turned it upside down. And we're going to look at that today, and we're going to see this revolution that Jesus created. So, Mark chapter 14 is where we are. We're going to pick it up in verse um, 43. Man, I just did not do a good job this morning. That says Mark 14, 32, but it's not. It's 43. Um, today's just not my day. Uh, Mark 14, 43. The, the words are right, though, just the, the reference is wrong. And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came. One of the 12, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him under guard. Lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. about his body and they seized him but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked and so we have this story where Jesus is betrayed by Judas and 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 kind of Jesus predicted this um, just a few verses earlier at the last Passover the last supper of Christ uh, predicted that this was going to happen and he's saying here um I want to read it again uh in verse 48, And Jesus said to him, Have you come out, against as, out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. So there's this idea that Jesus is saying, like, My, you, guys are, you guys are expecting this resistance. They brought swords, they brought clubs, and Judas, who's been with him for three years, expected this resistance when they, when they got Jesus. In fact, I mean, the whole plan, I mean, they're, they're, it's, it's about midnight. It's probably after midnight at this point. Um, and, and they're in the garden. It's dark. And, and why couldn't Judas just say, that's the guy? It's him right there. Why do you have to come up and kiss Jesus to identify him? And they all knew who he was. I mean, he's been in the temple, the scribes, the high priest. They all knew what Jesus looked like. They knew who he was. But Judas comes and gives him a kiss. And this idea, if you ever heard of the, the, the term, the kiss of death, comes from this story where they, he kisses Jesus on the cheek to identify this is Jesus and betrays him. Why all this subterfuge? Why all this like, cover of night? Can't do it during the day, can't do it in the temple? Because they were expecting this resistance. And they, and they all kind of got it from one of the guys. In fact, one of the other Gospels will tell us this was Peter, who took his sword and cut off the ear of, of the servant of the high priest. And, and Jesus actually, it doesn't tell us in Mark, but in the other Gospels, Jesus picks it up and he, he actually heals the servant and he gets his ear back, but there's this, there's this sense they were expecting this resistance. And, 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 and Jesus is saying, my kingdom is not of this world. It's completely different. Like, you're not going to get a resistance from me. My revolution's not going to be taken by force. The kingdom of God's not going to be expanded by force. Because Jesus has been talking about this new kingdom this whole three, his whole three years in his ministry. But it's not going to be taken by force. He's going to serve. He's going to sacrifice for others. He's not going to repay evil with evil. He's going to come, overcome evil with good. He's going to overcome evil with good. He's going gonna to give up his power, his life. He's going to live in weakness, poverty, suffering, and rejection. My, Jesus is saying, my revolution comes without the sword. And it's the first true revolution. In fact, uh, in in Luke chapter six, I wanna read some some things Jesus said in Luke chapter six in verse 20. It says, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you And when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. I mean, Jesus is taking these things that would have been at the bottom of the value list for the current structure. Poverty. Blessed are you who are poor. Crying. Blessed are you who weep now. Um, Hunger. Blessed are you who are hungry now. Being hated, excluded, reviled, spurned. Blessed are you. Jesus is starting to turn the whole list of values upside down. In fact, Jesus continues on in verse 24 of Luke 6 and says, but woe to you who are rich for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you for so their fathers did to the false prophets. So Jesus is saying, my kingdom is not of this world. It's completely different. It has different values. In fact, it's not just different values. They're just turned upside down. Jesus values the poor, he values the weak, he values mourning, and, those, and he just turns it all upside down. It's the first true revolution. In fact, we're here today, and, and we chose that second reason, most of us in our minds, because the idea is we're thinking about others. We know it's, and even when we don't think about others, we know it's right, and so we, we, in our mind, not in the situation necessarily, but in our mind, we're like, yeah, that's the right choice, is to think about someone else and not about myself. And here we are, Jesus, starting this revolution. And that's why in, in, in Christianity and in the church we talk about things like service and humility and meekness is because those are the things that God values. That's how God is going to change the world. It's not through our power. It's not through getting the right people and places of power. It's just through our humility. It's through our meekness. It's through our love. It's through our sac- self-sacrificial love and service of all Christians everywhere laying down their life for the good of those around them. It's gonna be, God's gonna change the world and he's changing the world through men who lay down their lives for their wife, for their kids, through um, the person who works for a company, just the employee, just the normal everyday employee who lays down their life and serves their employee well as to the glory of God, who puts their fellow employees before them. God's changing the world through these through these concepts that up until this point were considered to be weak, and the last thing you want to think about. In fact, it was this rushed. Everyone wanted power, and and there was a point where Jesus feeds all these people um, with loaves and fishes, and he feeds all the people, and and they're just amazed. They want to they want to forcefully put Jesus on the throne and make him the king. And Jesus is like, no, that's not how this is going to happen. This is going to happen through my sacrifice through me laying down my life and giving up my power. But the story goes on. And it says, all, in verse 50, and all and they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. I love that story because um, church history will tell us that the, the author of Mark, who is Mark, is writing about himself in this story, which is, might be why he doesn't self-identify as the man. We don't know if it's true, but we do know there was a young man who was following Jesus, and all he had was linen cloth. And they said, hey, that guy's following Christ, and they seized him, they grabbed him, and he ran away, leaving his cloth behind, running away naked. Like, if you get into an altercation and you leave naked, you lost the altercation. Like, that's just basic, like this is how fights work. If you start with clothes on and you end without them, you've lost the fight. So this man runs away in shame out of the garden, just completely naked. But see, there was, a, there was another garden centuries earlier where a man and a woman were both exposed as naked as well. We're talking about Adam and Eve. and In that garden, they were exposed as naked and they fled in shame and they hid And and again, centuries later than that, there's another garden and another test. And everyone failed the test in one way or another. Whether they fell asleep, we read that a few weeks ago, how they fell asleep when Jesus told them to stay awake and pray. And all they could do was just fall asleep. And Jesus comes back three times. It's like, why are you sleeping? Why are you sleeping? They failed the test and they run away and they're ashamed of Christ and they flee. One even flees naked. Or even Peter, who fails the test and, and still, after following Jesus for three years, still thinks that this revolution is going to take place by the sword and cuts off the ear of one of the servants. But there's someone in the middle of the garden who passes the test. There's someone in the middle of the garden who, who goes through the test and is t- absolutely tempted to, to not go through with God's plan. In fact, you know, verses earlier, we talked about last week, Jesus is is praying and and other gospels will tell us that he's sweating drops of blood in agony. And he's just, he, he he is so sorrowful to the point of death that he does not want to be separated from his father. He does not want to have to bear the sins of the world if there's another way, but he passes the test and says, but not my will, your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. See, when Adam and Eve fled the garden, they turned around and there was this flaming sword of justice making sure that they couldn't get back in. And we're here at another point of the garden, in a a garden, where Jesus passes the test and he's he's about to go in and go under that sword. And that sword is going to break him, but he's going to break the sword and people will be able to go back into the garden. People will be able to go back into the presence of God. And that's the good news of the gospel. And that's, that's, what we, that's what we celebrate. That's why we prepare for Lent. That's the whole reason why this, this Lent thing exists is because we want to prepare our hearts so that on Sunday morning, on Easter morning, we're able to celebrate in a way we wouldn't be able to if Easter just snuck up on us. We prepare our hearts, we prepare our souls so that we can be excited about what Christ went through. Because I think oftentimes we think just, yeah, just Christ died for my sins and, and then he, got, he was resurrected. But, but this resurrection... Easter is so much more than just Christ being alive again and that being a good thing. It's proof that everything was accomplished, that he said was accomplished, that he defeated death, he defeated the sword guarding the Garden of Eden, and that we can enter back into the presence of God and we can commune with God and be in a relationship with God that wasn't possible before because of our sin, and that Christ takes our sin away and gives us his righteousness so when God looks down on us, He doesn't see our sin as children of God, but he sees Christ's righteousness. And that's why we can run to him when we fall. We can run to him instead of running away from him. And that's the good news. And that's why we celebrate. It's why we sing songs. It's why we worship the Lord. It's why, and it changes our life. It transforms our life. And if it doesn't, then it just means we really don't understand it. Because if it doesn't change you, if it doesn't change everything, if it doesn't transform your life, it just means you don't understand it. We talked about this last week, this idea of, of if, if, if the cross isn't beautiful, it's because you just don't understand your own sin. Because the more you understand how sinful you are, the more the cross is beautiful because the more you understand why Christ had to die. And not just die for the world, not die for humanity, but die for you. Die for you. And he did it because of the joy set before him to be with you to have you in the family. And this is great news. And this is news that should be shared. And you have these disciples and they're running in fear and they're running away and they're, man, they are afraid for their lives. And in, in other gospels and other areas, we see that Peter um, denies Jesus. We'll get to that a little bit later in Mark. But all the prophecy um, of everyone leaving him and, and abandoning Jesus in this time of need, is, it happens. Everyone runs away. And they're cowards. But they're not cowards forever. In fact, something really cool happens in Acts chapter 2. And so I'm going to turn to Acts 2. You don't have to. I'll read it to you guys. But in Acts chapter 2, there's this really neat thing that happens. And so I I want us to just really... Think about this as a real true story because it absolutely is. You have these disciples. They're following Jesus for three years. Jesus gets arrested and they flee. They hide. Acts chapter one will tell us they're hiding in this upper room. They look out the doors locked. They don't want anyone to come in. They're afraid for their lives. They're praying. And really they're just cowards. But then something happens. And in Acts it tells us the Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit, the the helper that Jesus promised comes. And then you have Acts 2, Verse 22, well, Acts 2, verse 14, it says, but Peter, the same guy who denied Jesus three times, Peter denied Jesus three times. One of the three times was to like a little teenage girl. Like that's pretty cowardice, right? Like if a teenage girl's like, hey, weren't you following Jesus? You're like, no, 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 she's a liar. This little teenage girl's a liar. Like that's just not like the manliness that you think of when you think of a hero of a story. And then several weeks later, Verse 14, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. And he has this first sermon ever preached. I'm going to pick up the sermon kind of in the middle to read it to you guys, because it's kind of long. It says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus... "'Delivered up according to the definite plan "'and foreknowledge of God, "'you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. "'God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death "'because it was not possible for him to be held by it. "'For David says concerning him, "'I saw the Lord always before me, "'for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. "'Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. "'My flesh also will dwell in hope, "'for you will not abandon my soul to Hades "'or let your Holy One see corruption.' That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and, all, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, that he poured out this that, for, that you selves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into, heavens, into the heavens, but he, he himself says, the, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. So, this coward who runs away from this teenage girl is now standing up and speaking in front of thousands of people. This Lord, this King, who you crucified, who you killed and had killed by lawless men. And then something pretty neat happens. From this crooked generation, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about three thousand souls. Man, just oh, the first sermon ever preached—three thousand men get saved. They get baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They, g, and I love this part, verse thirty. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off everyone whom the lord our god calls to himself that call is here this morning that call is here for anyone who's far off from the lord to come to be baptized to believe to repent and and, and there's this new kingdom we don't have to be part of the kingdom of this world anymore but there's this new kingdom and you pledge allegiance to that kingdom, you, you repent, which is this idea we're talking about this week with a friend of mine, this idea that you're, you're pledging allegiance to a new kingdom, you're turning from the old kingdom, and you're saying, this is the kingdom I'm following. I'm no longer going to follow the ways of this world and sin and self, um, self-righteousness and self-centeredness, but I'm going to turn to this kingdom and be about others and be about my Lord, my King. And Jesus is, becomes our King and we're baptized in His name and we're part of His kingdom. And then we work to to, to advance that kingdom and to go into the world and push back what's dark and bring the light and hope of Christ everywhere we go. We don't have to be like the disciples and be cowards. We have the Holy Spirit. We can be bold with our faith, we can be bold. God goes before us, He's, He's passed the test for you. You have nothing to fear. You can be bold, you can be serious, you can be radical about your faith. You're part of this. If you're a Christian here this morning, you're part of this huge story of God. And you get to play a part in that story. You get to play a part in that story by telling others about Jesus. I think oftentimes in Christianity, we try to tame this Christianity thing. And we're like, you know, someone, uh, I I worked in youth ministry for a number of years, and like uh, a kid would get saved, and they'd be super excited, they'd be like, Going crazy, trying to tell people about Jesus. And, and oftentimes people just tell them, hey, man, you just got to calm down. Like, just like you're getting a little crazy. Like, why don't you sit and learn for a little bit? And then you, maybe you can like know what to do. And, and when that happens, it just stuff, it, it, just, it just puts out the fire that God put in them. We, we can be bold. We can be like that and just be, be bold about our faith and talk about Jesus. And I think oftentimes we might not run away naked from people because we're scared about Jesus, but oftentimes, um, in our culture where everyone knows Jesus and everyone talks about him being a Christian, but so many people are not experiencing the joy that is to be had by living in his kingdom and living for his kingdom, we, we oftentimes don't talk about it ourselves. We don't talk about the joy that God has given us. We don't talk about the kingdom that we're a part of and how that's different than the way we used to live. Even if we grew up in church, it's still different than the way we grew up in church, and we, we don't talk about that. I don't know if it's fear or cowardice. Maybe it's like we just don't know what to do or what to say. There's lots of reasons why we don't. But we, we, we want to build a culture here where, where we are decide, we're, we're all missionaries. We're missionaries at Burleson Plumbing. We're missionaries at the high school where we work. We're missionaries on our, our, own, our own business that we own. Or wherever we go, we are missionaries. There was a, a man one time who got saved, and, uh, and Martin Luther um, this is back in the 1500s. He comes up to Martin Luther. He's like, hey, you know, I just got saved. What do I do now? Like, I want to live for Christ. What do I do now? And he said, well, what do you do? And he said, I'm a, I'm a cobbler. And Martin Luther's response was awesome. He said, well, then make a good shoe and sell it for a good price. Like, you don't have to, like, like, ministry is not about me being up here doing ministry. Every single Christian in this room is called to ministry. In fact, the Bible almost says that I'm not called to ministry. My job is to equip you for the work of ministry. And you go out and you talk about Jesus. You go out and you push back the darkness that is in this world, wherever God has you. And also in Acts, it talks about how God has ordained where you live and the time in which you live and the street on which you live. Like you're at your job on your street for a reason to enter into the story of God and to tell people about the good news that happened in the garden. The good news that happened in the Garden of Gethsemane and the good news that happened on Calvary. That's why we're here. That's why we're still here. And man, Spruce Pine, Mitchell County, Avery County, Ancy County, they need to hear this good news. They need to enter into the joy that is to be had by following and loving Jesus Christ. And so one of the things we've done to make it super easy um, for people uh, is we talk about a a number of different things. Let's Get in the Grove um, has... um, Uh, we we talk through our philosophy of ministry and that we want people to go out, just like I said, and and talk about the gospel. We give it an easy way to do that um, by praying, eating with people, you know, listening to their story and then sharing your story. Um, And we kind of go through that together and let's get in the groove.